0: You are listening to the Cast.
1: I think that Black Diamond has a marketing problem on their hands. Too many cam codes. The C4, the Z4, the C3, the X3, the C3PO, and the R2-D2. Oh, hey, Disney lawyers. We'll scratch those last two. But their problem is your gain, because the reason for all the gobbledygook is that Black Diamond refuses to stop innovating their cams. First, they introduce the Ultralight C4s. And thirty percent lighter equals pounds across the full rack, folks. Which means you don't have to think twice about that glazed energy ring you gobbled while standing in line at seven hundred eleven at four AM on your Alpine start. Then, if multi sets of ultralights is too rich for your blood, they made a wink and a nod to the cheap dirt bags and redesigned the original C4 as ten percent lighter. Then after another espresso or ten, they sat down and combined the C three and X four into the better, batter Z four. Finally, Sort of as a joke, I think. They burped out the number seven and number eight Camelot so the masochists could masochist even harder. Are you keeping up? Well, the only thing to really remember is that the climber engineers at BD can't stop, won't stop making their cams better. So the next time you are plugging gear anywhere, you're set up for yet another best day ever. So go to blackdiamondequipment.com and check out the best protection money can buy. And you know what? It wouldn't hurt you to place a nut once in a while either. I've tried just about everything to get you to drop some serious cash on high-end Sportiva climbing shoes, short of coming to your house and shoving your gnarled feet in them myself while you whimpered and giggled in equal measure. You gigglers know who you are. But obviously, a big part of the nation does not want or need to drop serious coin on a terrain-specific shoe. You want something reliable, comfortable, and reasonably priced. So Sportiva's new additions are calling to you, my fair climber friends. The new Aragon is an all-day shoe that doesn't sacrifice performance and can slide on your footsies or into your shoe quiver for less than 100 bones. And the Zenit, no, Zenit, rhymes with Sendit, is an intermediate shoe that can point you towards harder, steeper boulders and sport climbs. Both have no lace closures, something I've come to love on my Otakis, and are designed to be resold easily to save you even more money in the long run. So if comfort and fun is more appealing to you than downturn and pain, Check out the new Aragon or Zenit at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. We
0: got Listen, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. It's oh, yeah, the big place. That side of town. That's a big nice. place. You so it out. I'll say, so we really should.
1: Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose.
0: You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. We'll make it. I don't think so, but we shall continue with style. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes.
1: And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Enorma cast. This is your host, Chris Caluse. It is 8 a.m. On August twenty first, twenty twenty one, and this is episode two hundred and twenty six of the EnormaCast, a very special interview with return guest Stacy Bear. Long time listeners will remember Stacy from episode one hundred and three, back in twenty sixteen. Stacy's a veteran, served in Iraq and Bosnia. He also was part of the Halo Project, clearing landmines, and found climbing and has become not just a climbing advocate, but an outdoors and skiing advocate for veterans as a way of healing. And episode 103 is definitely a fan favorite. It's also one of my favorites. It's one of the episodes I point people to who have never listened to the podcast when they say, well, where should I start? I say, well, why don't you check out episode 103 with Stacey Bear." So Stacy got in touch with me just a couple days ago and asked if we could talk about Afghanistan. He said, yeah, it's not super climy what I want to talk about, but I would love to talk about the needs of the outdoor community there. What's happened in the last decade, more or less, or last 20 years, among other things, which we do not get into, is that there is a burgeoning outdoor community in Afghanistan. When we say outdoor community, we're talking about some of the pursuits that we love including skiing, including mountaineering, mountain biking. These things have grown up as the country opened up after the Taliban was pushed out of the country, essentially. And now, since those people have connections to the outside world, have the connections to the Western world, they are likely to be targeted as the Taliban is taking back over of the country. And Stacy has an urgent message for us. That if we want to help our brothers and sisters in the outdoor community, we need to do it now. And at particular risk are the women who were involved in these sports, openly involved in some of these sports. Because in a lot of ways, the community tried to break the social norms and have the genders engaging in these activities together and equally. Which at this point is enough alone to get them targeted. So Stacey showed up to make a case for why we should help these folks, but also make a case for why we should think about them as being pretty much just like us, even though Afghanistan seems ideologically far away, it seems geographically far away, and frankly, it seems too complicated for a bunch of climbers to do anything about. So much going on, so many news stories, so many different opinions, so much politics. It's definitely very overwhelming. But what Stacy offers us is a way to focus that, focus our energies, however small that may be coming from the Enormicast Nation or from the climbing community, but we can focus it onto people who we know, who we understand, who are just like us. And for me, that can be helpful to just try to take a small chunk out of the big problem. Because as I've found doing this podcast and using the internet, that a lot of people giving a little can actually be a big help where no one individual's efforts seem like that big of a deal, that big of an inconvenience, that big of a hardship, but you put them all together and they get things done. And that's what Stacy's here to do is ask us to get something done. But he's also here to talk about the humanity of being in an outdoor community, what it means and how the benefits that we get here in the West are the same ones that people get in countries like Afghanistan where life isn't quite as simple and easy as we have it here in the States. But it all means something still. And Stacy mentions all this in the podcast, and I'm going to talk about it in the end as well. But before I lose you to uh, arriving at your destination or the baby crying or something like that, where you shut off the podcast and never come back, the quick hit where you can look at what it takes to help some of these folks is AscendAthletics.org. The American Alpine Club just sent out a blast about this group as well who are specifically focused on getting women athletes out of the country. That's an easy one. There's some other ones as well, and you can do your own research. And Stacey talks a little bit more in the end about some of that stuff. But AscendAthletics.org is a great place to start. And also an easy thing to do is to reach out to your friends who were veterans of Afghanistan and even Iraq and in that region because this is a difficult time for them as well, Stacy points out, to uh, be wondering what the sacrifice was for, what their friends died for. Um, and some of these folks need some stability right now. So if you have a connection to them, reach out. Don't be afraid. And if you don't have a toe in this conflict in Afghanistan, and no matter what your politics are, I think Stacy has a message for you about acceptance and love and what it is we do when we go into the outdoors. So anyway, let's uh, just welcome you back to the podcast, the beloved Stacy Bear, who recorded an episode some years ago. I know that it's it's either 103 or 104. Um, it's right in there. And actually, it's it's really honestly been a fan favorite because I think it was a little bit out of left field. But it's also been one that I've, when people are like, well, what should I listen to? Like, you do a podcast. It sounds cool. What should I listen to? I've often referred to that one as one of my favorites as well. So thanks for coming back on the show. And and thanks again
0: for doing that original episode those years, so many years ago. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Chris. You're one of my favorites. And I think a lot of people probably still have no idea who I am, which is great. Uh, Most of the time, you know, people know, oh, hey, Stacy's showing up. You know they're they're very disappointed when I show up. They don't assume it's going to be a six foot seven, two hundred fifty pound ball man. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's been a journey from from when we chatted in a uh, Motel Six. I think there was a uh, police action for for. Yeah, I, I think somebody got arrested. Like as we finished that podcast in the room yep, next door. I'm sure. <laughs> those so, are the good old days. <laughs> those are the good old days. I I almost booked myself a room at the Motel Six so that we could do this today, since I'm I'm still in Salt Lake. Yeah, it, it's been wild. It's 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 been a wild journey since then. I think my daughter was maybe two the last time we talked. So that's that's probably the biggest thing. She's you know I think a couple months older than than your kid. So that's been a lot of fun watching her grow up, getting to be a part of that. I haven't climbed near as much. Most of my time has has been devoted to ski mountaineering and climbing on skis and getting into high places with skis. And then I've been doing a lot of whitewater rafting over the summers. And I started Adventure out war to go back to all the places where I had fought or cleaned up after war, but I wanted to experience it as a climber or a skier. And, and that kicked off in 2015 when Alex Honnold and I went over to Angola. And then Wilder was born in 16 and 17. I went to Iraq in 18, I took a year off from Adventure Not War and went to Japan. And then in 2019, I went with a couple filmmakers, Ben Sturgelewski and Jason Mannings, and we went and skied in Afghanistan. And then we came home from that. And as we were sitting in the hotel, getting ready to leave and leave where we were and go back to Kabul and, and then go back to the States, a couple of the skiers said, what are you going to do next? And, and how can you keep helping us? And they said, we don't necessarily want any more awareness. People know that we ski in Afghanistan. So what can you do? And I really appreciated the frankness and freshness of that question, right? Because I think so often in outdoor projects, especially, right, we go to climb for awareness or people are biking across this continent or this country for awareness. And it's like, but what, is it, what action does that actually lead to? So out of that, with a couple of Dutch partners, we launched Silk Road Freeride in 2020 in Kyrgyzstan. And we were invited into Kyrgyzstan by the uh, loose affiliate group of the Kyrgyzstan Free Skiers Association. And it was a, it's a Kyrgyz-run group. They're supported by a Dutch organization called Rice Travel. And the goal was to begin to put on the map a series of ski competitions from along the historic Silk Road, right? So from Central Asia all the way over to Lebanon. And that it would be a place where competitors could come and learn and compete against one another to promote free skiing and to promote cultural exchange with the goal being that at some point, this was kind of a big audacious goal would be that the Silk Road Freeride would supplant Freeride World Tour, right? That we would have so many great mountains and so many great athletes. And the Freeride World Tour has been amazing and, and super supportive of what we're doing, but that their athletes would want to come and ride Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan and Lebanon, as opposed to, you know, Switzerland or Hokkaido or something like that. And, um, those are all wonderful places to ski. Japan's a great place to ski. Switzerland's a great place to ski, but that was our big Heriot Asia's goal. And so in 2020, we launched that and we had, I think 12 countries and over 60 participants and the Afghans, unfortunately, weren't able to get their visas worked out into Kyrgyzstan at the time, but, you know, we came home. In 2020, we got home, and all of us who went were pretty sick, actually. And now we look back, and it's like, was that Kyrgyzstan heli? Was was maybe that you know early COVID? But we don't know. And we thought, well, we'll just plan it again for 2021, and mm-hmm. we'll make sure that the Afghans and other folks have enough lead-up time. And and of course, in 2021, there was a lot going on in Lebanon, and we have some friends and contacts in Lebanon who run an outstanding free ride world tour qualifying event. And they weren't, you know, Lebanon was having its, you know, military issues. And, and i mean, Lebanon, what a wonderful country, so many wonderful people. And now they're really struggling and, you know, and then this last winter, the Afghans kept charging ahead and had the ski challenge again. And now here we are in August of 2021, and we're working hard to get a lot of those skiers and supporters and their families out of the country.
1: Well, yeah, and that's really the occasion of this podcast, um, to be honest, is that, you know, Stacy got in touch with me just a couple of days ago and wanted to talk about these subjects, obviously, because Afghanistan is in crisis at the moment. And we're worried about some of these people that you've made contact with getting out of the country and what we can do to support that. So we're going to get there in just a bit. And we're also going to try to, like, you know, definitely tiptoe around the politics that we don't want this to be a divisive or a political analysis of what's going on it's about um it's about your work there and then hopefully raising up some awareness (laughs) but also some action around trying to get some of these folks out but let's backtrack a little bit because if people haven't listened to that storied first normacast let's talk a little bit more about uh, maybe backtrack through some of that um about your first connection to afghanistan um and then a little bit more about this arc of coming from there you know, I know it's a super long story. It was basically the entire podcast last time. But just, you know, a connection to turning that into this idea that um, just a connection with the outdoors, which seems, you know, it seems like such a, a low part of the, you know, the the hierarchy of needs um, when people are in desperate straits, like why it becomes important even in those in those times. Um. So, yeah, just start with your, you know, reiterate
0: your connection to Afghanistan originally. Yeah, so I was in the Army. I, I got my commission out of the University of Mississippi in the year 2000, Stand Fast Mississippians. And I was deployed, or excuse me, I was stationed in Germany uh, after training in Arizona. And so I was in Germany when 9-11 happened. And, you know young 22 year old full of energy excitement belief in the cause belief in the flag belief in uh, unending belief in you know america's might makes right in the world and so so many of us wanted to jump in and go to afghanistan right if that's where the fight was if that's if that's who came to fight us we wanted to go fight them and i wasn't able to get to afghanistan the other thing that was it, to backtrack even a little bit more, I read, I had just finished right before 9 11. I had just finished Jason Elliott's book, An Unexpected Light in the Garden. And so Jason is a writer, I think a journalist from the UK, and he traveled during the Taliban regime. Like, so the first Taliban regime was 1996 to around, you know, 2001, 2002. And he moved through Afghanistan and just traveled around, right, with relative, with relative freedom. And he wrote this beautiful, beautiful book about Afghanistan. And I had started, you know, reading a little bit of mountaineering literature and, and travel literature, right? A short walk in the Hindu Kush mm-hmm. and learned a lot about was beginning to learn about Afghanistan in the sixties and seventies, right? And all these people who went and climbed and and enjoyed time in Afghanistan. And I remember putting that book down on, um, I, I can tell you it was September 9th because of what happened later. I put that book down. I finished on it September 9th and I thought I'm going to go to Afghanistan next year because at the time you could actually, you get a visa, you'd go to Afghanistan and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go backpacking in Afghanistan. And then, and then two days later, nine 11 happens, right. And the world blows up and I ended up never going to Afghanistan. And My unit later in 2003, 2004, as the Iraq war then stood up, I was supposed to go into Iraq through Turkey, but the Turkish decided that they didn't want an invading force from the United States to go into Iraq on their southern border. So I ended up not going into Iraq. I ended up doing a deployment to Bosnia in 2003, 2004. I got out of the army in 2004. When I was in Bosnia, I saw the landmine problem and thought that's something that I can objectively help with. Right? It's an mm-hmm. objective good. There's not a lot of politics around clear landmine or not clear landmine. Clearing landmines is good for everybody. And I thought maybe it's a way to get back to Bosnia, which is a country that I really, I really fell in love with Bosnia when I was there. That's part of my problem. I fall in love with countries when I show up because mm-hmm. there's, you just realize as you get to travel, there's so much beauty and there's so many amazing people out in the world. And I, I, I Google searched landmine clearance and then I applied to the first three organizations that showed up. And the Halo Trust hired me. They moved me down to Angola. After about a year, they moved me to the former Soviet state of Georgia, this little place called Abkhazia, which seceded from the Republic of Georgia when the Republic of Georgia left the Soviet Union in 1991. It's an unrecognized country. There's been several wars there, lots of landmines. It was there that I got recalled to the United States Army and then went to Iraq. And I had tried, actually, even then, I asked the army if I could go to Afghanistan instead. And they said, no, you got to go to Iraq and the halo trust and i had had conversations about you can go to afghanistan you know there's a little bit more you've got to do in terms of training before you can go to afghanistan so i go to iraq 2006 2007 i come home i struggle with post-traumatic stress substance abuse little substance use is is, you know as a solution to dealing with all these other problems that i had challenges that i was having a hard time working through end up getting a job in boulder colorado start climbing friend gets me out climbing as an option other than suicide or joining the rejoining the military and that's put puts me on this path that I've been on since 2000 late 2009 2010 of connecting first myself and then other veterans and now all people to the outdoors but during that time when I was from 2007 to 2009 I was getting my graduate education in in Philadelphia and I came down on orders for Afghanistan I came down you know you get this like warning order basically that says hey you know, you've been selected. You're going to go to Afghanistan. We'll wait for the orders, and those never came. And so, I never actually went to Afghanistan. And so, after Iraq, after we went and skied in Iraq, and and that's when we, you know, ended up years later realizing the power of the outdoors. I was like, how powerful! If this is so good for me, what does it mean if I can take it back to the places where I fought, and back to the places where I clean up after war, and use adventure storytelling as a means to shift or add on to a narrative that people back home think about. Right. Cause even when I came home mm-hmm. from Iraq, when I came home from Angola, people had the wrong perception about how all the people were or what the place looked like. And so I wanted to change and help change that narrative. And so, you know, with Alex in Angola, that was great. Iraq was just a phenomenal experience and you know, the, the, Angola film was really focused on Alex, as it, as it should have been at the time. The Iraq film really turned its attention towards myself and a couple of my good friends, Matthew Griffin and, and Robin Brown. And then with Afghanistan, we wanted to do something different. And we wanted to highlight the community of skiers and outdoor athletes in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and do our best not to show any non Afghans in that process, right? We really wanted to make it about Afghanistan and the beauty and the culture and the amazing people we saw there. And that's what we did, you know, and and all the credit to Ben Sturzelewski and Jason Mannings who came out with us. And, you know, Ben's Ben's a great director and an incredibly talented cinematographer. And when we first started talking about that film, we said, well, well, what do we want to shoot? What do we want to do? And we said, well, let's just show up and see what the story is. And you can imagine that's a little difficult to fundraise off of, right? And a lot of credit goes out to the to the brands that have, have been behind me for that. Uh, True Gear, Osprey, Pratt, a couple others who've just been phenomenal partners. And they believed in the vision. And they said, go go for it. So in 2019, we, we flew into Kabul and spent three weeks around Afghanistan skiing our faces off. And there were turns there that rivaled turns I've had in Japan in terms of, you know, I'm a big guy and overhead powder, right. And got to see and be a part of this amazing ski mountaineering community because there are no lifts in Afghanistan. So if you ski in Afghanistan, you are de facto a ski mountaineer. So when you talk about
1: outdoor activities in these countries, I think it's a real hard thing to imagine, um, for folks coming from, you know, where we just always, I mean, the, the, the cliche of like, oh, it's, you know, whether you can go climbing or not is a first world problem and, and all that stuff that I'm, I'm frankly, just so tired of, but, um but it's, it's hard to imagine that in a place like that, people have the time or the desire or, you know, the ability to, to scrabble together equipment to, to spend time in the outdoors. And then you also have this question of like, is that time well spent, you know? And then, you know, when we're talking about places like Afghanistan, you know, we're talking about extremely strict religious background for the country. And a lot of, you know, you hear about stories of Islam, you know, banning dancing and banning music and, ban, you know, and all these other things. So sometimes I wonder if it's like so against the grain that it's it's really hard to do. But wh- why is it, do you think philosophically important to you and and what you bring to the table when you when you go somewhere and you're climbing as in the case of angola or skiing and ski mountaineering and and climbing mountains on your skis in a place like afghanistan like what i guess what is your goal in doing that because i i think it's i mean there are there are a few questions around it that even i
0: have so uh, maybe we'll get into that yeah so that there's a lot in that question that you yeah, covered. Yeah. Let, me, let me try and back it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So first off, you know, that's one variant of Islam that is, is looking at those things. And mm-hmm. in the same way that people are probably familiar in the States, you know, I mean, you, you weren't allowed to dance at most Baptist, Baptist colleges forever, right? I think it Footloose. was. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was in the late 90s. I think that Baylor yeah. University finally allowed dancing. And there are sure. certainly, you know, uh, sects of Christianity where you're not allowed to play music either. Or participate in sports or those types of things. So it's not, you know, I think it's important to recognize that that's not just Islam. That's different interpretations of, of religious scripture across across mm-hmm. the world. And you know, I've met at this point hundreds, thousands of phenomenal musicians, artists, athletes, activists who are practitioners of Islam, and I've been welcomed into that tradition and, and see a lot of beauty in there. And. There are, well, even even
1: Afghanistan. I mean, it was there was a period, even recent history, where it was a you know I think it was a hotbed of culture, you know, in the '70s um, when when everyone still was you know it was an Islamic country still, but it was they were under a different interpretation of what that meant, and it was arts and and culture was flourishing even in in like
0: I said recent memory. Well, yeah, I mean, when we were there, arts and culture were flourishing, and we're standing mm-hmm. back up. And mm-hmm. you know, and I think when we think about how we fight for a country or we fight right. for an idea, we have to recognize that not everybody who's fighting is going to have a rifle or, or you know, it's going to—it's it's not always a pugilistic situation, right? Sure. Uh, there are artists and poets and athletes who are fighting to create and grow that culture, and they're doing it in a in a peaceful way, right? It's—it's mm-hmm. it's the constant work to build that connection. And I think this goes back to why people ski there, why people are so engaged uh, across the world in, in these activities. And I think it's because we're hardwired for connection Mm -hmm. as humans. We need connection. We need connection to one another. We need connection to the broader world. We need connection to the environment. We need connection to beauty And, Mm -hmm. and we're hardwired to do that. And that's what you see in these places. And that's what we witness firsthand, both in Iraq and Afghanistan and Angola, is that's a critical necessity for people, is Mm -hmm. connection to one another, connection to beauty, connection to the world. And that's what these activities give them. And and I get the whole it's a first world problem, right? There's a lot of gear you need for climbing now. But when people started climbing, I mean, right, why is it called a nut and a bolt? Because they had actual nuts and bolts that they tied rags around. To climb and move up. The explosion of equipment has allowed us to climb way beyond 510, right? And that's only going to continue. In the same way, you know, when we were in Afghanistan and a lot of the people we were skiing with saw professional skis that had been brought over by an Italian and I believe maybe some, some New Zealand NGOs and service members and soldiers and distributed them. But there's not enough for everybody. There's not a ski shop in Kabul. And, and you used to be able to ski. In the 70s, there were lifts all around Kabul, right? Because it's this, it this gorgeous mountainous city. So everybody else said, well, what can I do? I want to ski, but I, I can't. I don't have access to those skis. So they took planks of wood and they carved them down and they bent them to look a little bit like skis. And they took old oil cans and jerry cans and gas cans and cut the plastic off to create a bottom and then they used tin cans or whatever else they had left over to create bindings. And they skied, right? And this is all over that people are doing this. And there's even ancient or more, more historic, I don't know if I should say ancient, but there are in other parts of Afghanistan, people have been skiing on these kind of really long skis, similar to what you might see like original skis out in Telemark, Norway or whatever, with a pole or what you would see if, if you've seen that stuff, the history of skis in the Altai Mountains. It's very mm-hmm. similar to that. And they would use those for a particular time of year when they otherwise couldn't travel through the mountains. So skiing has been in Afghanistan for a long, long time. What we think of is, you know, now how we go and ski and do some of the ski mountaineering and stuff. Sure, that's different. But when, when, when we did the race with folks and I participated in the race, a lot of people just post holed up the mountain. You know, a few people had skins that they were able to get from different organizations that had come over or, or donations that had been made. Some people had, like, truck tie-down straps that they wrapped around their skis uh, to use the skins to climb up. Other people just sidestepped up the entire mountain. And there was a small international contingent of people, right, when, when, we, when we went over and, and did this race with folks. And the race goes up a mountain, down into a saddle, up into a saddle, and then, or up into the next peak, and then all the way down right and so you don't take your skins off when you go down into the saddle and it wasn't until we were able to slide down the saddle that we were able to put significant distance between ourselves and the post holers and side steppers we weren't even close to people who had truck tie downs or actual skins and at the time i was in great shape and and i just you know great shape light skis all the equipment And there were people in that group who had, you know, skied over a couple mountain passes to get to race day and then raced and then went home. And they're wearing, you know, most of the folks are wearing something like a members-only jacket, right? And it's 10 degrees out and blizzarding. And they're just cruising up there, crushing it. But I think to your earlier point that that goes back to why do that? Because I, I think we miss... In Maslow's hierarchy and when we talk about the things that are important in humanity, I think the thing that we miss is this extreme need for joy and spiritual connection. And oftentimes we put that in a very religious specific box. But without a doubt, I mean, you and I have talked about this, right? How much closer to God can you be or the feeling of this grand universe or this feeling that that you're part of something much bigger in the world that you can't quite understand this mystery, this, this beautiful religiosity, right? This reconnection to this broader universe than when you're on the top of a mountain, when you're struggling through a crux, when you made it through wind and, and rain and sun and sand and you're burned and you're standing on top of the mountain or you're standing on top of the rock. What closer connection to God is there? And I think that's what people are yearning for. That's mm-hmm. what people are working for when they're doing these things. And, and my father-in-law, uh, his love of skiing is it's like, there's not, there's, it's the closest thing to flying you can get. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all felt that, right? I mean, it's, I think it's one of the reasons we climb, right? Is for the opportunity for the fall, for the opportunity for the fly, as scary, as frightening as that might be. So I think that conversation, I think we have to shift the conversations we're having in the world around, yes, we have to have shelter. Yes, we have to have food. Yes, we have to have clean water, clean air. We need to have the freedoms to be able to explore and enjoy those things. But we need to worry less about what is it that we're constantly producing and making Mm -hmm. and building versus what does it look like if we prioritize joy and this deep connection to one another and to the world. And that's what I got to feel. And that's what I got to be a part of in these adventures. And I, and, and certainly, Afghanistan was one of those places. It was one of the absolute easiest expeditions in country I've ever been a part of.
1: Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. And, and I do want to kind of analogize this to climbing, because um, I have some questions about your, your views on, on, on that part of it. But t- tell me a little bit about traveling. And this was, you were there for this latest project in, uh, what, what year was it that you were over 2019. there? 2019 okay so not too long ago tell me about traveling in country and what that felt like
0: you know my friends have always been more worried about my experiences than than even my wife you know i mean we have a great partnership and talk a lot about risk management and and what is safe and what is not safe and my biggest fear in afghanistan in 2019 was not at all physical security it was going into an unknown snowpack without you know there's no afghan avalanche forecasting system <laughs> like, like we have in, in the Wasatch or Colorado or, or the Pacific right. Northwest. So, and there's a different risk tolerance and there are a lot of athletes and over there who, who have the knowledge and who have been trained. And uh, Doug Chabot has been over there a lot doing a lot of that training and and was one of the inspirations and provided a lot of support for when we went over there. And I had a conversation with some folks in, Af- in Afghan government at the time ministry of sport and tourism and that type of thing. And I said, what do you, what are you concerned about? What should we be concerned about? And one of the gentlemen said, would you, it was right after the Orlando pulse shooting that I had that phone call with him. And he said, would you invite me to Disney world? And I said, good point. And he said, you know, things happen certainly, but he said, things happen in the United States. So the only thing is that in Afghanistan the focus of the news is always and only when we have a blast. Mm -hmm. There's no coverage of what happens in the day to day. And he said, and it's a smaller country. So would you invite me to Orlando? Would you invite me to Fresno? You know, would you invite me to Connecticut? Would you invite me to Colorado? Would you invite me to the movies? And so I, I think that was a, that spoke to me to the cultural arrogance that I was bringing into the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, things can happen, but things can happen anywhere. And we made the decisions based off of risk and we had other friends that had spent time in and out of Afghanistan. And so certainly going into the country, I think because we had the overwhelming media narrative that told us that Afghanistan was a frightful place, There was some trepidation, but we felt Mm -hmm. good about who we were working with and the outfitters we were working with and their plans to keep us safe. And so we flew into Afghanistan and we ran into some people that we knew actually on, I think it was in Dubai as we were, as we were heading into Kabul. And then, you know, the plane is full of Afghans and aid workers and private military contractors, and the the Karzai Karza airport is very small. I think there were two, maybe four uh luggage carousels when we got out. And of course we're waiting, you know, for our skis and everything and a couple of contractors come up and I'm like, "Are you getting on the contractor bus or who do you work for?" and like, "Oh, we're going skiing." And and you can see these guys are like, "You're doing what here? Like, you're crazy." And then I remember this one guy I thought he's like, "Yeah, I was looking at those mountains and I wonder if anybody skis and And we just waited, you know, it took a while to get our skis on the concourse and our skis went out and we had to go through security and people wanted to know what was in the big long bags. And we showed them skis and the security guards thought that was hilarious and wished us luck. And we went out and met our fixers and our guides and stayed in a guest house and did a tour of Kabul that day. You know, we drove around, uh, we went to... Uh, Babur, right, the, the Mughal emperor. His gardens are there. He was buried in Kabul because of, of its faint beauty. We we went to the main, it was a little too windy for kite flying, but for people who've read The Kite Runner, we went up and checked that out. And on the way back from uh, skiing, we had a transition back through Kabul. We went to Chicken Street. We bought silks and rugs and gifts for our family and friends and had great interactions with so many wonderful people in, in Afghanistan. And the only time there was one time I got nervous and we were in a traffic jam and it was a big roundabout, big roundy and the car wasn't moving and I started kind of freaking out a little bit, but you know, honestly, Chris, I, I freak out in any traffic jam, (laughs) you know? Um, so I never worried. I never felt insecure. I never felt I wasn't safe. You know, when I came home and was talking to people, you know, I thought my wife and I could have at the time dropped our daughter off at any of the villages and gone and skied all day and come home and picked up our daughter. And she would have been fed. She would have been happy. She would have been exhausted from play. So seeing this now is heartbreaking. It's it's nearly soul-breaking, Chris, because it's such a beautiful country. And there are so many people who worked and fought so hard to create a country that could welcome the world.
1: Let me switch over to asking a little bit about climbing. You know, one of the reasons you ended up originally getting... Becoming a suggestion for the podcast, and we, we actually, if I recall, we we met, and, and minutes later, I I think you know after even finding out who you were, I whisked you off to the Motel Six, and uh, you know, which, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't go to the Motel Six with just anybody, right? But uh, you know, I mean, well, speaking I, speaking of your your friend in Afghanistan, would you invite me to the Motel Six? probably not actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh but anyway but we we it was because you you know you were starting into this this uh this program of trying to get uh veterans into the outdoors um you had been to angola with with alex honnold as a climber but i think your connection was as much because you were you were familiar with that country and had that past that it had brought you there but you know the climbing thing is interesting. I, I've been thinking about the skiing. That's what we've been talking about, and um, this ability to. And, and I've seen the film. It's it's been at what one?
0: Yeah, we did Telluride. Yeah, so we did far. sort of. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we were looking for feedback and, right. and um, trying to keep that on the DL, and now we're yeah. you know we're working. We're gonna re-edit a lot You're of right. the film it's, it's got to sort of change context. some of its message but
1: right. um you know the, the the idea that you can make skis seems actually somewhat reasonable but th- then we move to climbing and and uh even the basics of climbing i think it's it can be a lot more life-threatening um other than your snowpack issues but also like it's it's much more even as popular as we think it seems right now it's a much more fringe activity than skiing ever was you know, even myself, when I think about that part of the world, I've journeyed to um, Jordan where climbing it has existed for a long time, but is still way out on the fringes. I've found out about Lebanon, you know, the, the climbing there, um, which is actually very modern and in other parts of the Middle East. But it's always made me wonder what the potential is for some of these countries that that have been sort of locked behind these veils of either fear or literally you can't go there. And we all have the have the the tale of. Uh, unfortunate tale of um, Tommy Caldwell in Kyrgyzstan to kind of reference what the, the bad potential can be to be traveling kind of willy-nilly through some of these countries. So what do you think looks like the climbing potential in a place like Afghanistan? And are there climbers like you have found these these out there skiers practicing kind of on their own? Is there mountaineering? Do you think there's sort of like someday we're going to find some Verdon gorge-esque climbing area i mean it's a rocky craggy place and there's big mountains there so it seems like the potential would be there
0: yeah i i mean i think we should call you probably know tommy caldwell i've run into Mm -hmm. him a couple times but i think we should we should start a movement to 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 start calling him willy-nilly okay (laughs) um and that's that's your that you said that not me tommy if you're listening um yeah yeah, i mean you know those things happen right and Mm -hmm. I've been to Kyrgyzstan and would go back in a heartbeat. Beautiful place as well. Amazing mountains, significant climbing and mountaineering potential. I think I saw um, Adrian and Emily were, like like I know them by first name basis so well, you know, we're just in Kyrgyzstan as all this was happening as well. So there's there's a huge mountaineering potential there. That's getting explored. It's been explored for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Mount Lenin is there, the Soviet climbing community, and now Russian and Kyrgyz and international climbing community certainly spend a lot of time in kyrgyzstan afghanistan has a massive potential i mean you're right climbing is still fringy i think it's awesome in the united states how many people have been brought into the sport because of climbing Mm -hmm. gyms and there's a lot of people who won't get outside all that much and will use climbing gyms as a you know it's, it's an exercise fad it's a fitness fad and that's fantastic and if that gets more people into the outdoors and that gets more people concerned about conservation and that that gets more people engaged that way. That's a win in Angola. You know, there was one climber, right. And we left all of our stuff for him and he was super stoked because he has to fly to South Africa and to get anything. And, but he'd been there before us, right? Like we didn't, we didn't put up all new routes. We, we finished routes. We climbed routes that had been explored. There were a couple of American guys that had been climbing Angola before we got there and, and all credit to them for their work. In Iraq, as we were driving around, there were gorges in in, in, in the north and Kurdistan, and everybody who was on that trip, a lot of us had climbing experience, and we thought, "Wow, look at the climbing experience! Look at the opportunities if you want to create new routes." And same thing with Afghanistan. There is a mountaineering culture. Afghanistan is doing, you know, has done fan- fantastic work, especially around women mountaineers and gorgeous mountains. A lot of mountaineering potential a lot of mountaineering potential that has been explored the big mountains out there a lot of them have several ascents at this point uh, the tallest mm-hmm. mountains especially and i think for rock climbing you know th- there is a lot of potential um i don't climb as much as i used to but i would would recommend at some point i hope we can go out and develop those 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 climbing areas i hope this is uh i hope this is a, doesn't become the norm and and that and that Afghanistan is able to get back to its its culture of building itself in the way that it wants to, in a way that is what most of the people I met there, all the people I met there, you know, focused on creating a better world for their children and for themselves and for their grandchildren and sons and daughters alike. And I think Afghanistan has tremendous climbing potential, tremendous outdoor potential, fly fishing in the Oxus, whitewater rafting, hiking, canyoneering, and certainly climbing. And it is true. I mean, one of the challenges with climbing is the amount of gear and the specific type of gear, right? And so when you show up in an area, especially for exploratory climbing, there's so much that you have to take. And I I learned that firsthand in Angola, right, as we're cleaning routes and and we're drilling bolts and all those type of things. And so our, our vision for Afghanistan that was informed and was invitation from the Afghans. You know, there's, there's mountain bike Afghanistan as an organization. There's Afghanistan. Shannon Galpin's doing a ton of work with cycling. You know, there's, there's mountaineering, there's mountain biking, there's, there's Afghans who are doing those things and and we're inviting in additional support and outside support to continue to grow that. And it's, it's very much homegrown these activities. And so, that's all we're trying to provide, you know, originally with a film and, and so many others are, how can we bring the overwhelming physical gear to a place? But it's a little bit easier for mountain biking and skiing, I think, than it is for climbing and mountaineering. But that stuff is certainly coming in and, and was coming in. But to develop, you know, traditional climbing and sport climbing requires an amount of gear, knowledge of gear, and the time to commit to developing routes Mm -hmm. that mountain biking, cycling and skiing don't necessarily require that same level of commitment. That being said, it doesn't matter where you go. Dirt Mm -hmm. bags are everywhere. There's people who want to commit. There's people who want to give their time to that level of engagement that, that route building and route setting in wild environments creates. And I think that's the hardest part, right? Is that, These dreams, do they end or are they put on hold? Mm -hmm. Is it, is this generation going to be able to get back to a place where they can do that and build that? Or is it going to have to, is it going to be left to future generations to figure that out? We wanted to bring back so many of the people that we saw to help them further their education in mountaineering and skiing so that they could go back and continue to build. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting about so many of these athletes is that they, at different times, had the opportunity to leave Afghanistan, spent time outside of Afghanistan, and returned Mm -hmm. because of the potential and the beauty and the time that they were able to spend in their home mountain range. And that's something I think that can be really difficult for us. As, you know, I mean, my family, my mom's side of the family came here around 1918, a little bit before that, 1910 maybe, from the Czech Republic. And, And those mountains were theirs, right? And as much as I love the Wasatch and the Rockies before them, I don't have generations of family that has spent time in these mountains as much as they have given me a sense of home and as much as I feel like I have worked to become of this place. There's a concept in in Hawaiian language that talks about that. As much as I've done that. And so I think when you have generations of, of life and family commitment in those mountains, it becomes genetic and it's, mm-hmm. and it's hard to leave and you want people to experience the love and connection in those mountains that you have. And, and that's, that's what I saw there. And so I think, and, and that's what, you know, I, I mean, look at your career, look at Luke, me look at Alex Honnold, look at Timmy O'Neill, look at Hillary Lily, Millie. Yeah, look at willy-nilly, and now look at all these folks who are coming up, the entire crew at Brown Girls Climb, the folks who do Collar the Crag. There's this generation, we can see it in our generation and the generations behind us, you know, younger than us, who are committing themselves to these mountains and finding hope and belief in these mountains, and that's the same in Afghanistan.
1: So what do you think happens? We're in the middle of this crisis, and it's not sure how it plays out still um it's you know it's only a it's really only a few days old it seems like the end of the world in in terms of afghanistan and there's obviously a political divide that's formed or was there continues to be there but what do you think happens in terms of these pursuits at least in the short term is this are these people who are who are sort of um functioning in that world are they targets do you think are is it something that you know we we are it is going to switch into this this super fundamentalism islam we talked in the beginning about how there's different interpretations well this is the one where i think they they may find not just the activity itself but the fact that it feels like the fact that the whether you were a climber or you're a skier or a mountain biker a big part of that is your connection to the outside world. You know, you're you're being influenced by what skiing means elsewhere, what it means in Europe, what it means in America. And that's a big, big part of your connection. Um, and I, I feel like that alone might make these people a target, that they have these connections outside of the country. Um, what's your feeling about what happens in the short term in terms of, of this, like you said, this generation and what they're trying to pursue?
0: Of course, right now in America, so many people are trying to score political points, right? And Mm -hmm. we have a media system that's divided, hyper-partisan media on both sides. There's people trying to represent a mainstream middle, and people are trying to score political points, and that's frustrating. To me, I see this as a broad failure of American foreign policy, regardless of politics, There's plenty of blame to go around. One of the things that I've been trying to focus on is let's worry about the blame later. Let's figure out how to get allies, activists, athletes, and those who are going to be targeted out of the country as quickly as possible. And it's been heartening to see significant nonpartisan support for Mm -hmm. the work that so many people are trying to do to get people out. Right. And so many, even governors in the United States here in Utah, for example, Governor Cox, you know, wrote a letter to the president saying, we're here. We're ready to welcome Afghan refugees. And every now and again, I give myself a moment to dream about, you know, a future of skiing with my friends and their children up at Snowbird or Brighton or Alta. I don't know why I've left Park City out of that dream, but I will take them to the Wasatch first and i know why yeah <laughs> and um
1: but yeah as long as there's no snowboarders they can they can right. also ski at deer valley and alta <laughs> yeah
0: I, i'm sure somebody's like we don't need them here because we don't need any more goddamn skiers in the canyons right, man right exactly send them to yeah, st george cl- clog up little cod even more right exactly <laughs> go to Brian Head, but the, the reality is we we've got to find ways to get people out and people have been working so hard regardless of their normal political persuasion or who they voted for to find ways to to call senators and congressionals to demand better action the fundraising attempts have been super strong so far because people are going to if they get out of the country they're not they're not taking anything with them you know i mean i i hundreds of times have thought about what it would look like if my wife and daughter and I had to leave, what would we take with us? You know? And it's like, you grab the picture books, you grab your daughter's favorite couple toys and enough stuff to draw with for as long as you possibly can. Warm clothes, toothbrushes and go. Right. Right. You don't get to keep so many of the little mementos and paintings and drawings and gifts and things that we, that make up a life. And so a lot of the resources will go towards that. I think Obviously, these activities have ground to a halt right now. I don't think that they will resume anytime soon, especially, you know, the the women who have participated in these events are going to be specifically at risk. Uh, Men who have encouraged gender inclusive events, Mm -hmm. men who have spoken forward and spoken out about the need for full participation. And then, you know, musicians, artists, poets, advocates, um, journalists are all going to be at
1: risk. You know, that was my kind of question to put sort of the urgency on this is that it's not just that people aren't going to get the mountain bike anymore for a while. It's about being at risk, Um, even talking about how the the Taliban is going to be searching the Internet to see. You know, what residual things you were up to, you know, in, in terms of like if we were even using names and we're and we are trying to avoid the specifics about the people you filmed right now because we don't want to expose them in um, the idea that that they would listen to it in a normal cast seems ludicrous. But it it's it's an it's, you know, even if there's a small chance. Well, it's a like little that, ludicrous if anybody yeah. listens to you. Right? <laughs> okay, I mean, <laughs> dude, I've been thinking that for 12 years. <laughs> ludicrous caloose. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, it's like, I'll take my downloads where I can get them, but let's keep those guys off the off the fan
0: list. I, yeah, violent fundamentals off the fan list. Yeah, I mean. So, I mean, and that, that's
1: kind of the concern here. And, and you know, so I want to get this thing out immediately. And um, that's why we've ha- had this kind of rush moment where we talked just a couple days ago, and um, I'm going to try to put it out as soon as yeah. I possibly can. The way I look at this too is the problem is overwhelming, and you know we're talking about like all allies. We have to get all these people out, and when you talk about that, frankly, it's it's easy to shut down. It's easy to say uh, it's too big for me. The government should be doing this, and and I'm I need to go about my daily life which is a completely understandable you know reaction and to to so many things and and so I'm not saying that like I I feel superior to you because you're thinking that or whatever but it's just it's overwhelming what I think I would like to say is that when we take off when we start talking about these outdoor advocates these people that are in this particular small group where we're focusing our energy there it can I think it can be really helpful to think think about it and do these people deserve it more than a translator or more than someone that worked with the state department maybe so maybe not but for your own mental capacity to try to help with something i think a focus is just helpful and not just thinking like there's there's a hundred thousand people we have to i have to help them all somehow i think it's helpful when we when we focus it without the like i said the moral judgment
0: of who who's better and who deserves this kind of thing well, and these are really hard conversations to have, and and mm-hmm. they're going on in my head all the time right now, right? right? And, you know, last night, my wife and I went to a concert at Redview Garden, and there was a part of me that felt guilty. Like, why am I leaving? Why do I get to have fun? Why do mm-hmm. I get to enjoy my life? And, you know, doom scrolling on social or whatever, and all these other people are having fun and having these lives. And in my mind, I'm like, well, what about the people of Afghanistan? And. Right. I know other people felt that way last summer around the Black Lives Matter. And I know people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a famine that's happening in Madagascar and there are problems and challenges happening all over the world. So why care about this? Mm -hmm. And those are good questions. And I hope people, I hope people care about something. I hope people give a fuck about something and are willing to work and find a way to support the people and the places that they're doing. And it becomes easy to want to boil the ocean. And there are people working super, super hard to get translators and State Department folks home. And that has been a challenge for years, trying to get those folks home. And if if folks are really interested in that, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Steve Miska is doing some amazing, amazing work on that. Um, He runs a company called the, I think it's the First Amendment Voice Foundation. And there's there's several other organizations, most of them veteran-started or state department Mm -hmm. started that are running to support the opportunity and and ways to get people home. And I encourage people, if that's, if that's where your heart goes, do that. I think for our community of as well, you know, I'm I'm part of the veteran community, but I'm also a part of the outdoor community. I've been embraced by climbers. I've been embraced by skiers. That's become a big part of who I am. And so this is where I can focus. These are the people Mm -hmm. I know. These are the people who I, can see laughing and contributing to uh, laughing with and contributing to our society in such a deep way i can see them leading the next generation of skiers around the world and mountaineers and climbers and bikers and that's why this is where my focus is and i've spent 19 days which isn't a long time i realize but i've spent 19 days skiing in the outdoors, and and I mean, think of you spend a day climbing with somebody, right? And you become close, super close. You spend a couple of days in the mountains with somebody, and, and you've got a friend for life. And that's that's where I'm at. And so mm-hmm. we want to, to create. I want to create distinct opportunities, and people can, you know, I encourage people call your congressionals and senators. It takes ten minutes. Call them up and say we need better security and support to ensure that Afghans who are on The visa lists are getting out and have the security and safety to get out. And our allies, the advocates, the allies, the people who have bought into the dream that we sold to Afghanistan, that the United States government said, we are going to be here and we're going to change Afghanistan and we're going to to create a better society for you and the vision that you want to have. Those people who bought into that dream, whether or not you agree that we should have come to Afghanistan, whether or not you agree that we should have invaded in the first place, that doesn't matter now. Do you agree that people who have bought into a dream of better self-representation and democracy and sport and equity, do you believe that they deserve a chance to continue to pursue those dreams? Overwhelmingly, in the conversations I have had with people, regardless of their political persuasion, the answer has been not just yes, but hell yes. And so people can go then call your congressionals and senators. Look at Afghan Ascend and donate. They are doing incredible work on the ground to bring resources to bear, to bring the women and men who have supported the women in Afghanistan out. There's a great article in Washington Post. Sasha DeJulian wrote a beautiful article in Climbing about the importance of this. And I'm, I'm glad to see the outdoor industry is starting to step up. There are articles, I believe, coming out in cycling. If people are committed to bicycling and cycling and see the power of cycling, there's an opportunity to continue to work through that. We've got a fundly account that is working to support guides and outfitters and fixers. And yeah, it you you can really fuck your head up saying who deserves more or who deserves what. And that is so hard. But you've got to do something. Ten dollars helps, five dollars helps, the phone call helps, sharing the links on your social or friends who you know care or would care, share that stuff. And it's hard. I mean I, I wish I could go and help elbow my way through the streets of Kabul to get people into the airport and put them on the planes, but I can't. What can I do? I can help coordinate. I can help connect. I can, I can tell people that it's worth giving up. It's worth caring. And one of the hardest things I think in the back of my head is. As I see this huge network of people come together and so many people reaching out. And there's all sorts of stuff too, Chris. There's resources for veterans. Veterans are questioning who have served. Why did I serve? What did I do there? Was it in vain? And my response is, did you act with dignity? Did you act with care? Did you act with respect? Because that's always worth it. It's always worth it to do those things. And there are resources to battle within if veterans are looking for resources or struggling with their mental health or challenges or wondering, what did I do? Was it all lost? Then go to the battle within. There are resources there and there, there are multiple other resources. The VA has resources because there's a lot of people really hurting on that side as well. And I want to make sure that they know that they, what they did was not in vain, that, that, that they deserve to be taken care of, that they deserve to feel okay right now too. So there's, there's a lot of ways that you can spend your time. Just pick a lane. And even if it's one thing, five minutes can make an impact. But the hard part is, is why did it take this crisis for us to care and and there's something in our humanity and in our culture right now where we get together around crisis, but the long slog and difficult, boring work to tend democracy and peace is left behind. It's like we need to be farmers, but we're just stuck on Nitro circus all the time. and we you know and and we've we've got to find a way and, and this is what climbing does, right? climbing and that long slog up a hill when you're skiing it's not sexy it's not exciting right when you're when you're putting up a new route it it's time and problem solving and work and then finally you send the route and it looks really great right it, you got some drone footage and everything and it looks super super cool but leading up to it that's where we need to be spending our time broadly we can't we have yeah. to stop waiting for crises we have to turn off the nitro circus. We've got to turn off this like monster energy drink, Mountain Dew fueled political bullshit and get involved in the hard work. And that's where relationships are built. And that's what we need to do broadly as a society and, and, and stop waiting for these crises to come together. I mean, we see it all the time, right? Hurricanes happen and people get together and they, they find their humanity and then like as soon as the pressure of the emergency and crisis is removed we get back to squabbling over absolute bullshit and and i hope we i hope if anything we can look at this and be like we've got to find a different way 20 years and we have failed let's find a different way and people can do that 5 minutes and and if if they don't feel like they can give anything to afghanistan because they're overwhelmed with all the other things the pandemic the politics, the fires, the droughts, racial reconciliation, all these things, then if nothing else, be kind to strangers, be kind to people who think and look and act differently than you. I think everybody can do that.
1: What do you see as you know the effects this might have on the work that you do, um, that you've been doing? you know, reaching out to these communities. You've been doing reaching out to the veteran community. That's still your sort of life work. Have you had, you had any time to think about the impacts of this or, or are you just going to come up for air um, when the time is right to think about that? You don't shy away, bud.
0: Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, we went and watched Watch House, formerly Mandel and Orange last night and you know, some good, sad, slow bluegrass was, it felt like going to church. Um, spend the time with my wife in a cloudy, rainy day, you know, a break from the drought, a break from the heat, a break from the fires. And, and now my work, we launched Happy Grizzly Adventures in January. And so we're doing the work that I learned about with Kurash Rasek and I, you know, he's a mental health professional and, and the work, you know, I'm working on a paper about the mistakes we made in the veteran outdoor community. How could we do it better um, so that people coming behind us can make new mistakes, not repeat our old mistakes, not just in the veteran community, but anybody who wants to try and do transformational work in the outdoors. Yeah, I mean, my mental health has suffered. My family has suffered the last few days, right? I've been stuck on my phone. I've been stuck on my screen and wishing I could do more, not just for Afghanistan, but for, I mean, so many of the challenges and issues our country is facing, our world is facing, But I think, if anything, Chris, it just means to double down on connection, compassion, and community. Just double down. I think it's going to help me work harder. I think it's going to fuel not just the motivation. Motivation comes and goes, but to understand the reasons and the outcomes that I'd like to see in the world. I think it's going to make me work that much harder. I think there's a lot of challenges in the wellness community and around self-care and what does self-care really mean, but... I think it's important too for people, joy is an act of powerful resistance every single day of the, of the things that feel like they're attacking you. And I still gotta play with my daughter. I'm still gonna spend time as, as much as I need to feel like I wanna support and can support and cut back on sleep so that I can try and get a little bit more done. That's the stuff that matters too. Who knows how long we got we can finish this podcast and step outside and the car comes careening through the living room. So you still got, you got to enjoy it. And I, I don't think you have to focus your whole life on hedonistic pleasures. And, and I don't think climbing and skiing, it takes a while before those things become hedonistic, but you got to enjoy life. You got to find joy. You got to build joy in your life. You got to build community, compassionate connection in your own life. Otherwise, what's the point? What are you fighting for?
1: All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Stacy for doing that. What a fucking awesome dude. The guy just can't help but touch people's lives. I don't know what his inner turmoil is like. I'm sure it's still there, the things that he's wrestled with over the years. But, man, when he opens his mouth, good stuff comes out of it. So, yeah, can you imagine in Afghanistan great wide-open climbing, big mountain climbing, rock climbing, it's hard to imagine it. It's even harder to imagine it after the last week. But you know what? It was probably hard to imagine that you could go to Hauling Bay in Vietnam and deep water solo forty five years ago when that conflict was winding down. So there may be a future for rock climbing in Afghanistan, even in our lifetimes. Am I gonna be alive in forty five years? Well, they developed that shit twenty years ago, so maybe I'll make it. Anyway, if you feel like helping out A little goes a long ways. Remember, AscendAthletics.org. There's also a fund at Fundly.com. So I guess it's like GoFundMe. Fundly.com, support Afghanistan guides and fixers. And also an organization that is dedicated to the mental health of veterans is TheBattleWithin.org. So if that's where you want to put your effort because the, uh, the conflict in Afghanistan just seems a little bit too overwhelming, then head over there battlewithin.org. And as Stacey asked, call your reps and your senators. Have you ever done that before? I have never done that before. I hate the telephone, frankly. And guess who I have to call? I have to call fucking Lauren Boebert. Yeah, I don't think any of you have it as bad as... Well, some of you probably do, but it doesn't get much worse. Sorry. Is that political? Ugh, that woman. Anyway, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get over my fear. Get over my... my, uh, uh, whatever it is that keeps me off the telephone with strangers and do that, man. But yeah, just call them and tell them that your vote is to help these people. It's as simple as that. All right, folks, I know it wasn't super climby. I hope you made space for this one in your brainstem and like Stacy was getting at to do good in the world, you have to feel good about your own life. And so get out there and climb with your friends today or tomorrow or with the next time you can do it for yourself do it for the world and remember to check your knots Switch on television, it's just uh, ridiculous and it's destructive. It kills us, and talk shows will, will kill us. They kill our language. So we have to declare holy war against uh, what we see at every single day on television.